Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. It's just so busy here in the palatial douche manor, I can barely tell who's coming or going sometimes. Don't you ever wish you could just light a candle, make a wish, and magic all of your problems away? Sometimes in life, you know, we just need a helping hand. Anyway, welcome to Gorgeous with Sigourney Beaver, the show where you, the audience, and my favorite muffin, Mick Douche, come along on deep dives into the unknown, the mysterious, and the occult with me, Sigourney Beaver. Boy, do we have a devil of a first episode for you. Sacred rituals, severed hands, and a necromancer's crystal are just a snippet of the mystical trophies we'll cover today. So settle in, light your candles, recite your incantations, and join us on this very special first episode of Gorgeous with Sigourney Beaver. back to Gorgeous with Sigourney Beaver. I'm here with my co-host, Mick Douche. Hey, everybody. How's it going today? So we are here with a brand new podcast called Gorgeous with Sigourney Beaver. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I Woo. sound like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a rough, rough night. Every um, night. <laughs> At Lake Sigourney was saying, on this podcast, we're going to dive into the mysteries of the world, the unknown, the occult, the supernatural, whatever catches our fancy. Uh, I know folks don't know this about us because we don't talk about it often, but we love weird bullshit. The weirder it gets, the more we're into it. Taxidermy, only if it's flipping you off. You know, all that good that's stuff. Surprised. That's one of the best birthday gifts I've ever gotten. Uh, the flipping off taxidermy? Yeah, yeah. Mick bought me a little... A little um, taxidermied squirrel given the middle finger and the plaque says kiss my ass and I have it hanging in our kitchen I love it I think it's often overlooked I need to find a new spot for it anyways sorry speaking about strange (laughs) objects Sigourney what are we talking about today today we're taking a peek into the fantastical world of magical relics those special little items that imbue their owners with incredible powers good luck or spiritual protection Talismans, charms, amulets, etc. have been used for millennia to better the lives of those that believe, and today we'll be discussing a few of my favorite trinkets believed to offer unique opportunities to those that wield them. For our first foray into the strange and unusual, we have to pop into our time machine and take a trip back to the late 16th century and get cozy with a peculiar mathematician, astrologer, and healer named John Dee and the Necromancer's Crystal. What's the D stand for? Let's find out. Born in 1527 in London's Tower Ward, John Dee rose to prominence after becoming a fellow of Trinity College in 1546 after it was founded by King Henry VIII. After producing a series of clever stage effects in the college's productions of Aristophanes' piece, he garnered a reputation as a skilled magician and eventually traveled to Europe, studying at Louvain University and Brussels and giving a series of lectures on the Greek mathematician Euclid in Paris. 
He surrounded himself with great minds, cartographers, occultists, mathematicians, and astronomers, eventually returning to England with a bevy of various astrological and mathematical instruments where he continued his studies, continued teaching, and put great focus into his writing. In 1555, he found himself under arrest and charged with calculating after casting horoscopes of Queen Mary and Princess Elizabeth. Well, I'll be. Hang on. He's a mathematician and calculating is the crime he commit? I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Despite the charges being raised to treason, he was able to exonerate himself and was turned over to the Catholic bishop Edmund Bonner for religious examination. The two eventually became close associates. (coughs) Yeah, right? Religiously examinated? What does that mean? What does that look like? What are they looking for? Black hole. (laughs) Or just a hole, I don't know. (laughs) Dabbling in astrology, astronomy, mathematics, and philosophy, he yearned for a way to reach God. Using each of these sciences and attempts to unlock the universe and understand the mysteries of the world around him. Despite his conflicts with the royals, he found himself the scientific advisor and astrologer of Queen Elizabeth I, which is very interesting since she was earlier a princess and he was arrested, and now he is an advisor. Wow. Oh, how the turntables have turned. I mean, maybe in the horoscope he did for her, he predicted he'd be her advisor. And he even used his knowledge of astrology to help her choose the most appropriate coronation date to ensure her reign. He was regarded as a powerful magician, engaging in strict ceremonies and prescribed rituals and treating even the most esoteric practices as one would a calculated science. By today's standards, one may not call his work magic, as much as what he did was more akin to modern-day experiments than what might be looked at as ceremonial magic. But science in the 16th century was more regressive than it is today. The goal of science was to work your way backwards to the source, i.e., God, to ask for the answers to life's mysteries as opposed to working forward from the question itself through experimentation and collecting data. Sounds like work. Unlike most scientists of his day, Dee took things a step further and combined his endeavors with spiritual matters most often left to the church, which, uh, what? Like, what kind of matters are left to the church as far as, like, like questions and things like that? I mean, if you saw the devil back then, God and the church would get involved. I guess, but is it something where, like, is it just, like, a, like a big, like, universe question? Or is it something that I slip into, like, a suggestion box at the end of the pew? They have those at the Catholic Church? I've Wait, it's Henry VIII. We're not talking Catholic. We're probably talking Protestant. It just said the church. You're the one that's picking sides. Oh, I am. You know, Trinity did it to me. Who? The Trinity. What? Trinity College, Trinity Church, Holy Trinity. I was raised Protestant. This is weird. I know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, universally frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> For D, however, his tenacity and cunning allowed him to venture deeper into the spiritual unknown than many of his peers and allegedly led him to one-on-one meetings with archangels and supposedly the devil himself. So he is meeting the devil. What a lucky dog. D stands for devil? Maybe. 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 D stands for what he gave his associates. 
Oh That's where you have the wah, wah, wah <laughs> sound effect come in. <laughs> yeah. In 1582, Dee and his loyal assistant, Edward Kelly, another well-known magician of the time, began allegedly conversing with angels. Kelly would act as the medium, allowing the angels to use him as a vessel, speaking through him while Dee recorded the results. They supposedly taught him the original language spoken by mankind before the fall of Lucifer and gave him a complex form of mathematics one could use to communicate with angels. Angel math. Angel math. Why do they have to communicate with math? I I have no clue. For what it's worth, however, the angels also told Kelly that he and Dee should share wives, a compelling argument before it was revealed that Kelly actually uh, had a thing for Dee's wife all along. Convenient. (laughs) (laughs) According to Dee, his crystal was gifted to him that year by the angel Uriel, along with the recipe for the long-sought-after philosopher's stone, and was used to both tell the future and cure disease. Using crystals in this fashion was highly frowned upon, but with Dee's ties to the crown and the church, he managed to get away with it. Dee was a devout scryer, becoming fascinated with this unique form of divination after acquiring an obsidian mirror on one of his travels. The crystal, not entirely unlike the mirror, was used to predict the future by gazing into the stone and looking for ghosts of people inside of it. Also, this crystal, now, when I was reading this, in my mind, I'm thinking, mm, just a rock. Whatever. Who cares? But... I made I made her show me a picture of it, and it, it looks like a like a like a jewelry piece of some kind of sorts. It's like nice. It's like it's an actual like round shape. So maybe it is kind of fancy. It's also like they put a chain on it or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks kind of like a medallion versus yeah. just some loose rock crystal. Right, but if this is some kind of crystal that he's using to talk to the devil with, I would just imagine that it would be pokey on the end. Because the devil's pitchfork. No, just like as it should be. It should be a little bit pokey. It should be kind of scarier looking than something silly that came out of the gift shop. Ah, yeah. So the devil doesn't like pretty things. What are you trying to say? I don't have a fan? (laughs) Where was I? In 1597. After moving moving to Manchester, after locals... Okay. In 1597, he moved to Manchester after locals trashed his home and library while he was away in Europe. Dicks. The stone was gifted to one of Dee's sons, Arthur. It was eventually gifted to another alchemist, Nicholas Culpepper, as a reward for curing his liver disease. Not bad a prize. It's kind of nice. Not bad. It's kind of cure cure a liver, get a rock. (laughs) Not a kidney stone. Ah, no, not that kind. No, not that kind. (laughs) Oh, as a reward for curing his liver disease, Culpepper continued to use the crystal to try and cure various illnesses until 1651 when he claimed a demonic spirit burst forth from the crystal and retired it from its practice. Today, the crystal resides in London's Science Museum along with several other unique mystical artifacts. Well, how do you like that? All these magic things in the Science Museum. I mean, science is just a matter of time. I also had heard somewhere that, like, science is magic. That's true. There is something, and I can't remember where I read it Come on, brains, tell me. (laughs) Where the idea that religion and science are not that far apart, 
the difference is religion the passage. Religion and science or mm-hmm. magic and science? Because both in both science and in religion, you're required to believe things that you cannot yet prove. Yep. For instance, we can't prove the Big Bang, but we're required to believe it. We well, can't not believe. all of us are required. I think <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what school district you're in. <laughs> Same thing with religion. There is this belief you have that's unprovable, and yet you have enough people believing it. So the only difference between religion and science is how much weight there's being given to the theories. So you need a scale. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know, Sig. (laughs) Picture it. Salem, 1652. The witch trials are in full swing, and the fervor around witchcraft and the fear of the occult is boiling over in a very real and dangerous way. Witchfinder generals were men who assumed positions of power, often without any actual legal authority, and persecuted anyone they deemed a witch. More often than not, they were people of color, people struggling with mental illness, and any of those who didn't ascribe to the staunch conservative way of life the church deemed righteous and proper. Many of these people were women, queers, and the non-religious. All the cool ones. Yeah. Despite the lack of evidence and despite how real we at Douche Manor may or may not believe witchcraft to be, countless innocent civilians were left struck with intense fear of these so-called witches. And with the church doing everything within their power to stroke these fears, the public desperately sought out ways to protect themselves. Enter the witch bottle, part protection, amulet, and or DIY witch containment unit. Mm, A phylactery. What? Phylacteries, a lot of times in D&D or in video games, that's what you store your witch, your wizard in, you know, your your source to track them back down later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the pains of being a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sources vary on whether witch bottles were meant exclusively to repel or lure witches to their untimely end. Not entirely unlike the trap from Ghostbusters, but they were frequently used in practice both ways. It's a very convenient item. Seems to be. So what exactly was a witch bottle? Well, we're going to tell you. Witch bottles were, as to be expected, small bottles used as counter magic to protect oneself and one's family from witches in general or from a specific witch who threatened an individual. Several witch bottles have been found inside the walls, foundations, and yards of homes in New England and the UK, and would contain various trinkets, substances, and my favorite, fluids, believed to banish or repel the various forms of witchery believed to plague colonial society. In the bottle, uh, you could find wine, seawater, or holy water uh, that was often used to drown the witch, pins and needles to impale, and various herbs. Do you say herbs? You do say herbs. I say herbs. You say herbs? Herbs. 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 Is it herbs or is it herbs? Herbs. 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 Got it. Lavender, sage, coriander, rosemary, or thyme. No parsley sage. Left them at home. (laughs) To name a few (laughs) to repel them. I'm sorry. (laughs) You don't like Simon and Garfunkel? I have no clue what we're talking about. Aw. The buried bottles were believed to absorb the spell slash curse and torment the witch that dared cast them. 
Unfortunately, today, the few witch bottles that have been found were discovered shattered or empty, save, however, for one particularly rare find in 2004 in Greenwich. Kind of looks like Greenwich. Oh. (laughs) Workers found a rare, unopened specimen while on a construction job, a stoneware Bellamer jar. When they shook it, they heard rattling and splashing inside, and after changing hands a few times, it eventually made its way to retired chemist Alan Macy, who had a bit of a reputation for examining witch bottles. Okay, but here's my thing. Who's picking up? You're digging around. You're building a house. What have you. And you find a jar. You just you pick it up, and you just start, like, sloshing it around like it's a Christmas present. Like, who the fuck fucking cares? I mean, Get that trash out of there and lay that basement, baby. Listen, like, listen, listen. Who, who the hell's going around and is just so, I mean, does it look really cool? I grew something? up with construction it's workers. They probably tried to drink it. Listen, you find a weird jar. You don't know how old it is. You're thinking it's wine or booze. It's got to be there for a reason. You had a really weird upbringing, didn't you? <laughs> Are you just constantly dehydrated and just trying to manifest <laughs> all of these beverages anytime you see a liquid? In that container. I have never once been, I'm dehydrated. Let me get some liquor in me. (laughs) You're the same one talking about drinking out of strange jars. Well, I mean, listen, if I saw an old bottle, an old jar. So you're telling me that you would. I mean, listen, with good logic. If you found it in the ground. Ancient Egypt, they buried wine with You were going to drink some kind of weird, like, sketchy Gatorade that you found in the ground? Listen, it's not in a Gatorade bottle. It's in an old jar. That's even worse. It could be anything in there. I'm going to be drinking someone's chew, aren't I? Oh, dear God. Why do you say that? It's like you know that it's triggering for me. Oh, anyway. Oh, Jesus Christ. I just don't understand why they were just so into this jar while they're doing this construction. Like, unless it had some kind of sound effect when it hit the sun. Like, who gives a shit? But I guess these guys did, and they passed it off to some dude who really does. Using the power of modern technology, x-rays revealed pins and nails stuck into the jar's neck. It was also found buried upside down. Was that intentional? Who knows? I like to think that maybe it was because magically, like, burying things upside down is like a yes, a do. But also, they're doing construction in this area. Who knows? Who knows? Who cares? But... (laughs) I do, because I'm the one reading right now. A CT, a CT scan showed that it was about half filled with liquid. So you would have been in luck. They used a long needle to penetrate the cork and extracted some of the mysterious mixture inside and found that it had to be, uh, and found it to be none other than urine. Okay, I'd be drinking pee. Yuck. That is the first thing you said it was going to be, too. I, th- I thought it was going to be booze. Roll the tape. <laughs> it was pee. It was pee, right? They said pee first. Yep. Oh, no. They said pee. I knew it. They eventually uncorked the bottle. In addition to a smell more dangerous than witchcraft itself, uh, they took inventory of the contents. Twelve iron nails, one of which was driven through a leather heart, hmm, eight brass pins, clumps of human hair, ten manicured fingernail clippings. It makes a difference. And... Wad of what looked like belly button lint. That's a lot of lint. Mm, a wad. Oof. A wadful. I don't even know what kind of measurement of a wad to be. I'd say at least a teaspoon. Maybe like like gum, like a wad of gum I feel as referred to. It could be like a gum size. That is still, that's a lot of lint. Gross. All right. 
Well, sources dating back to the, 19, or to the 1530s confirmed that these ingredients weren't all that uncommon, and a court document from 1682 documents several recommendations for the assortment of goodies. That's why you got to get the manicured ones. It makes a difference. Manicured belly button lint? In occult practice, jar spells aren't all that uncommon. Sweetening jars, sour jars, money bowls, etc. are all regular forms of folk magic that have persisted even into the modern day. The combined power of various trinkets, potions, and herbs. 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 Is it herbs? Herbs. Are you saying it with an H? Herbs. Herbs. I mean, it's spelled herbs. with an H. Herbs. I know, but it sounds like you're saying it with like an herbs, <sighs> like a, there is no H. I, herbs. 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 Which is it? Herbs. Have you ever met someone named Herb? <laughs> Herb? Did you call him Herb by accident? <laughs> no, I called There's him. There's an H there. I called him Herb. It's her, are you saying it with an H or not? <laughs> is it Herb? Is it Herb? Herb, Herb. They're two different words. Mm, are they? It's like <laughs> because they're bag. spelled the same and they're pronounced differently. <laughs> uh. Create a sort of perfect storm when paired with magical intention and thoughtful spellcraft. <laughs> In the tradition of dragon burlesque shows, we have some good news and bad news for you. The good news is that you've officially made it, almost, through to the end of our very first episode of Gorgeous with me, Sigourney Beaver. The bad news, of course, is that we've reached our final segment for today. But, oh, baby, is it one of my favorites. A magical trinket so powerful it was believed to cause paralysis in all except the magician who dared to wield it. The Hand of Glory. Here's a recipe straight from the 1922 grimoire Petit Albert. Wait, can I do it? Okay. 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 All right. right. Take the right in the left hand of a felon who is hanging from a gibbet beside the highway. Wrap it in part of a funeral pall and so wrapped, squeeze it well. Then put it on an earthen vessel with zimat, nitre, salt, and long peppers. The whole well powdered, the whole well powdered. Leave it in this vessel for a fortnight. Then take it out and expose it to full sunlight during the dog days until it becomes quite dry. If the sun is not strong enough, put it in the oven with fern and vervain. Next, Make a kind of candle from the fat of the gibbeted felon. Felon? Virgin wax, sesame, and pony. Use the hand of glory as a candlestick to hold this candle when lighted. Then those in every place into which you go with this baneful instrument shall remain motionless. Did it have a serving suggestion on there? Full hand, I think. All right. The hand of glory. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to do this one because I've always thought the hand of glory was very nifty. I mean, you liked it enough to put one on your body. Yeah, that's also, it's one of those things. It's like a very like common, like traditional tattoo, uh, you know, theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to get back into it? I suppose so, since you're waggling the paper in my face to do it. My God. (laughs) Folklore from all over the world has long suggested the mystical properties of a severed dead man's hand. But before we can dig into all that juicy business, we have to go back even farther than the 16th century, way farther, to approximately 1750 B.C. You see... 
The idea of cutting off the limbs of a criminal dates back all the way to the code of Hammurabi, which really is where all of this nastiness truly began. The Code of Hammurabi is an ancient Babylonian legal text and is considered the longest and most well-preserved legal text from the ancient Near East. Have you read it? No. You are a lawyer. Yeah. It's not required? No. Oh. I mean, you're lucky if half the lawyers out there have read the Constitution. Oh. Scary but true. Say can you see? It's written entirely in Akkadian, an ancient Babylonian dialect allegedly by Hammurabi himself, the sixth king of the first Babylonian dynasty. The law itself is inscribed on a seven-foot-tall slab discovered in 1901 in present-day Iran. Today, it resides tucked away in the Louvre Museum. Well, well, well. I can hear you asking, Sigourney, so what? What does this ancient law have to do with magic hands? Be patient, and I'll tell you. I respond. (laughs) Sweetly. (laughs) What it has to do with severed magic hands is that the Code of Hammurabi introduced a series of casuistic laws, most famously, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This legal principle, and I asked my attorney about it, if you could (laughs) even call it that, uses near-exact reciprocation to dole out justice depending on one's social status. So, for example, if a person killed another person, it, theoretically, was only fair that the killer be killed. And, more specific to our story, if a son struck his father, his hand would be cut off. The idea of lopping off body parts to pay for various crimes carried itself well outside of the ancient Babylon, and into Europe, where the severed hands of criminals were often proudly displayed as trophies with the goal of preventing future crime. Hmm. You know when you were in the UK tour, Uh the last show, Uh there was a museum there that had a book that was bound in a person's flesh. Yeah, I wanted to see it. Yeah, it was the trial records from his actual case, and it was from like the 1800s. Yeah, I wanted, did did I see that? No, I saw it. Where did you get to see it? Well, you were performing. Well, I wanted to see it. What the fuck were you looking at? I mean, the the skin book for, not me. (laughs) You flew all the way to England just to do that? Yeah. We got to go to Stonehenge, too. That was and, cool. And I did see your show. Your show was later. The museum is a daytime. So, well, well, the fuck? Okay. Well, did you take a picture of it? Yes. Did you send it to me? Yes. Did I like it? You were like, what are you sending me a photo of a book for? Oh, yeah. Sounds like me. <laughs> that it looked cool. It looked like skin. Did it? Yeah, I mean, dried up skin. Yeah. Cool. I like that. Yeah. Could you touch it? No. Oh, no. It's in a museum. It's in a museum. Did they have it open? Uh, no, it was closed so I could see the binding. You couldn't read the insides? I don't want to read his insides. Is it written in blood? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. It's the regular court records. It's just court records? It's the court records from the trial that convicted him th- to be sentenced to death. How big is the book? Court record thick. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer Court these. record thick? Like, <laughs> bitch, you think I'm fucking hanging out in courts all the time? <laughs> Uh, maybe you should be. Why do you, would you say that? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Was it's, it a lot of records? Uh, if it's one trial, I, I mean, I guess it's fucking made out of his skin, so he really had to do so. I'm just, I'm just, okay, fine. We can go back to the thing. <laughs> the idea of lopping off body parts to pay for various crimes carried itself well outside of ancient Babylon and into Europe, where the severed hands of criminals were often proudly displayed as trophies with the goal of preventing future crime. As a matter of fact, a thief's arm still hangs from the wall of St. James the Greater Cathedral in Prague. 
and until 2010, when it was ironically stolen, the severed hand of a cheating gambler was proudly displayed in the haunch of venison, a 684-year-old pub in Wiltshire, England. Wow. Needless to say, severed hands have long played a part in humanity's macabre history, and the idea of using them to ward off ne'er-do-wells dates back to literal millennia. But their magical incantations didn't allegedly come into practice until the early 18th century with the handy little grimoire we read from earlier, Petit Albert. The purpose of the Hand of Glory is kind of ironic, as it was primarily believed to be of use to burglars and criminals, lulling the victims into a coma they could not wake from as the wielding magician crept into their homes and stole their valuables. Mm. Yeah, creepy. According to legend, if one tried to light the fingers of the hand and one of them did not light, it indicated that one of the inhabitants was still awake and therefore less likely to fall under the hand's spell. But Sigourney, why was there any way to protect yourself from the dastardly totem? Why, yes, yes, there was. If we reference the Petit Albert again, the instructions are very clear. Oh, do you want me to read again? <coughs> That's your cue, baby. The hand of glory shall become ineffective, and the thieves would not be able to utilize it if you were to rub the threshold or other parts of the ha- house uh, by which they may enter with an unguent composed of the gall of a black cat, the fat of a white hen, and the blood of a screech owl. This substance must be compounded during the dog days. You sound like a very confused vampire. You know, I am very confused. (laughs) There's got to be a joke about you sucking somewhere in there, but let's get back to it. (laughs) In plain modern English, all you'd need to do to protect yourself is create a salve or ointment made from a swollen growth, not unlike a tumor, from a black cat, the fat of a white hen, and the fresh blood of a slain screech owl all from your local Whole Foods, gathered, (laughs) mixed, and applied to your entryways during the hottest days of summer. Easy and disgusting. Yeah. Think of the smell. I do your best to not think of the smell. No, I do want to think of the smell. Let's take a minute here. Wait, wait. Do you think it's better or worse than the urine jar? Ooh. I don't know. Uh, The urine's like ancient urine. We're talking this is like a fresh, like, mix. But bottled urine. It's had time to ferment in there. Uh, I'm not going to drink either now after thinking about my choices in life. Uh, Many real hands of glory have unfortunately been lost to time, except for one. At the Whitby Museum in North Yorkshire, England, a hand of glory is kept protected in a locked glass enclosure along with a grimoire from 1823. That's not the one you saw. You saw court no. records. That's so boring compared to what it could have been. I mean... It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool, but it wasn't a witch book. It was not a witch book. No. 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 Thankfully for us, the manuscript text gives us a much clearer and concise way to make a hand of glory for those of you who may be interested. The recipe is as follows. It must be cut from the body of a criminal in on the gibbet, pickled in salt, and the urine of man, woman, dog, horse, and mare, smoked with herbs. Herbs, herbs. 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 And hay for a month. 
hung on an oak tree for three nights running and then laid at a crossroads when then hung on a church door for a night while the marker keeps watch on the porch. And if it be that no fear hath driven you from the porch, then the hand be true one and it be yours. So you just have to hang out on the porch and if you don't get scared, then that means it worked? What? And, and get a lot of pee. I mean, you have to go and collect pee from an That's awful lot, of, lot of animals. Like, who's walking around with a bucket under a horse just being like, I just need this piss to pickle that hand? I mean, and like, God help you if you find it. Like, <laughs> probably try to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's disgusting. My God, I'm going to have to keep you on a leash, babe. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> So whether it be mysterious healing crystals, bottles of various sizes meant to protect, banish, entrap, lure, McDouche, or (laughs) pickled severed hands believed to grant unlimited thieving powers to those lucky enough to wield it, magical totems are fascinating looks into the folklore that shaped our modern world. I sincerely hope you enjoyed the very first episode of Gorgeous with me, Sigourney Beaver, and I hope you'll continue to come along with us as we explore the wonderful weirdness of the world around us. We'll be back in two weeks with another exciting episode. Until then, be sure to share the podcast with the creepiest of your comrades and subscribe wherever your favorite podcasts are found. From Douche Manor, I bid you farewell. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the first Gorgeous with Sigourney Beaver. This wouldn't be possible without our musical maestro, Kale Satan, who is behind all of the theme music you've heard, and with our lore master, researcher, and writer, Harley Golightly. So if you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe, because we're going to be back with you in two weeks.